Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And we would like to welcome you once again to Freedom to Choose. And this is the series The Life, and it's program number 66. And we're going to call this one The Rejected Stone. And Susan, would you open with a word of prayer, please? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us to review the evidence um, that you have have given to each one of us, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and you have also given us minds to be able to review that evidence and to see truth about you. We just pray now you'll send your spirit to guide and direct our thoughts and our words that um, we may be giving more truth to more people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Um, so we're going to get right off. We got a couple of parables to to go through here. And uh, once again, what's a parable? It's a it's a uh, a living reality that teaches a spiritual lesson. And so Jesus says, uh, "Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and he hedged it about it, and dug a wine press in it." and built a tower and let it out to the husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same unto them likewise. Right, and Jesus continued and said, But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those husbandmen? So Jesus addressed all the people present, but the priest and the rulers answered, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, they said, and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Now, this is why it's important not to judge others, because while we have our eyes on them pointing out their faults, our eyes are not on Jesus. Throughout time, the Jewish nation of old had always had their eyes on the faults of those around them. The Lord of the vineyard had done everything he needed to do for its prosperity. He, uh, I mean, what more could he have done to my vineyard, he says, that I have not already done for it, he says in Isaiah uh, 5, chapter 5, verse 4. And the question is, is God, or throughout time, has God always done everything he can to win us back from our rebellion? Are we in rebellion? 
Does it feel like we're in rebellion? Is God doing everything he can right now to win us back? Well, I know that it seems as though the people, when Jesus came, didn't even, it's like they had no, it was like the Jewish nation didn't even understand that they were in rebellion. And so that's, you know, the question, question. that's a question we have to ask. Who has the problem? Is the problem us or is the problem God? Right. And so a lot of times we act like God is the one with the problem because we're going, you know, we think everything is fine because the sun comes up, we breathe, it rains, we got food, everything is fine. And, And so in our relationship with God, sometimes we think he's the one with the problem. We have to do something to impress him, that maybe he's upset with us, and so we need to appease him somehow, need to do something to make him happy. And you know what? I, th- I think that God calls us to participate, but I think as, as human beings, I know for myself, when I first became a Christian, I had everything so upside down Backwards. in my Christianity and I can remember my, the relationship with my mother and the damage that I did to her all in the name of God. Right. You know, because my religion said this and my religion said that. And because of this, that, I, I can't, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I am just grateful that God um, kind of woke me up somehow, I think, very gently. And and I was able to repair that relationship. But I think that happens to a lot of us. And I think that that we go through that. Um, a lot in our lives. So I know that the um, the title is called The Rejected Stone. So we're going to talk about who is the cornerstone. In fact, the cornerstone of what? So it's the cornerstone of the temple, but what is this temple? The temple is you and me, the dwelling place of God. We are the living stones in this temple, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Yeah, so because as we talk about... What you're talking about, when you talked about the damage you did with your mom, and and as we get into this a little bit, we're going to understand how important it is to have that chief cornerstone as Jesus, as as the because a lot of times we don't that we built our we think we've built our house on the chief cornerstone, right. but we haven't. So I remember I remember you telling me about something like when you go to a job and it's just dirt and there's a certain marker somewhere, but if somebody has hit that marker... Or oh, what, the monument, yeah. Right, uh, yeah. and then you take off from, and it's yeah, been it, moved, then everything is, is off-kiltered. And yeah. I think that, you know... When That's we, it. Right? Yeah, yeah, you don't... There's certain, there's certain markers... Uh, when you go onto a job, you don't touch. You put stakes and ribbons around them, and you know that's because your, that's your. Chief you're going to bench spot. off of that thing, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's very important. Um, and so, are we uh, benching off on yeah, the true is, picture it, of yeah, God? Yeah. Is that peg a truth? Is that peg um, Jesus, or 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 is it got a lot of me involved, or does it have a lot of you involved? So, continuing with the words of Jesus, he he addresses this subject with. The leaders of the day. Because once again, I want to revert back and make it clear. God has done everything. He planted a vineyard. He's done everything to help the vineyard grow. And of course, as we went through time, the the 
we reject him and he sends more people with new messages and we reject him and over and over and over again. And so finally he comes and he sends his son and we nail him to a cross and he says he is the chief cornerstone of the temple built off of him. And so Jesus says, as he is addressing the religious leaders of the day, he's hitting the nail right on the head. He said, did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and isn't it marvelous in your eyes? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and giving, given to a nation that brings forth the fruits thereof. And whoever shall fall on this stone, it shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So you know what's interesting is that the husbandman, and in his explanation, Jesus, they taught the 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 parable talks about that that the um, the uh, owner of the vineyard came to get the fruits. Mm-hmm. They didn't. He didn't come to inspect their gifts. No, right or what they had and what they didn't. He came to get the fruits, and it's right. the fruits of our labor. It's it's the um, the, in, f- the fruit. The, yeah, the 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 byproduct of God working through us through us to reach other people. The other people are the fruits. Yes, the, that's the bounty. It's the souls of humanity that Jesus is coming for. He's not coming for our mansions or for our 401ks, right? He's coming to see how we have influenced other people's hearts and minds in order to draw them, you know, to the Lord. Right. So um, Christ was the cornerstone of the Jewish economy and of the whole plan of salvation. The foundation stone, the the Jewish builders, the priests, and the rulers were now rejecting. Jesus called their attention to the prophecies that would show them that they were in danger. By every means in his power, he had sought to make plain to them the nature of the deed that they were about to do. He was trying to tell them, you guys are on the wrong path. Yep, yep, you got the, you've got the wrong peg. Right. And so in quoting the prophecy of the rejected stone, Jesus was referring to an actual occurrence in the history of Israel. Once again, we have an actual occurrence that he now applies as an object lesson for reality to teach a spiritual lesson. The incident was connected with the building of the first temple. While it had a special application at the time of Christ's first advent, and we should have uh, appealed, it it really applied a special force in the spiritual uh, application, and it has a lesson for us, too, as we once again apply our minds uh, as as the, the temple being a representation of our minds. Right, and how it actually impacts our lives in reality Real, realizing yes. that that temple the temple in the most holy place where god resides is an object lesson of the spiritual temple between our ears exactly so when the temple of solomon was erected the immense stones for the walls and the foundation were prepared for were prepared at the quarry and after they were brought then afterwards they were brought to the building site the workmen just had to place them in position they were already perfectly cut yeah it's amazing how the the, the capabilities they had back then so while they're putting the foundation um, in one of the stones didn't look right it was peculiar shape and the workmen couldn't find a place for it so they they just kind of put it off to the side and it was kind of like always in the way Right. And so, but when the builders came to lay the corner of the foundation, they hunted for a long time to find a stone of sufficient size and strength. 
and of the proper shape to take that particular place and bear the great weight that was going to sit on it. If they were to make an unwise choice for this important piece, the safety of the entire building would be in danger. They looked all over, but they couldn't find exactly what they were looking for. And see, so so here, the right stone is right there. Right. Isn't that what we do? But the, when they looked at it, they, they said, they said ah, no, 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 we don't no like good. that one. Yeah. See, we, we reject that one. Yeah, let's so they, put so it they aside. kick it off to the side. But that's what we do. We look everywhere but to Jesus to build our, our house. Right. The foundation's the most crucial part. Is our foundation built on love for others or is it built on judging others? Not loving your neighbor is the biggest heresy there is. Because that flies right in the face of the two great commandments. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Not loving your neighbor is the biggest heresy there is. You can be off on a, on a lot of things. You can be off a little here, a little there. But just read 1 Corinthians 13. All the things you believe in the Bible needed to be looked at through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. Because, why? Because God is love. Mm-hmm. And God has to be the cornerstone. So we, Susan and I did a little Bible math before the program here. And so we'll do the Bible math now, because everything in life, I always say, boils down to third grade math. So we're going to do Bible math. Okay, real simple. If God, if God is love and Jesus is God and Jesus is the cornerstone, then love must be the cornerstone. Right. Everything has to be looked at through that lens. Well, and not only through that lens, but our lives have to be built upon that foundation. Yep. That foundation of love. And the the interesting thing is, is to the human being, that stone doesn't look like it fits. Right. We look at everywhere else right we're looking f- for all maybe this in all fit. the wrong places maybe right? this one will fit Ooh, there's a nice one maybe that one will fit but remember they had to have one that was the perfect size that would bear the weight it was the chief cornerstone and the building would not hold up without the proper cornerstone and jesus is the cornerstone he holds up your entire foundation and once again, if God is love and Jesus is God and uh, Jesus God and Jesus the, the cornerstone, then love is the cornerstone. And so it's interesting because I think there's two different um, ditches that we can fall into. Number one, we don't love others, or number two, we don't love ourselves. That's interesting too. Because. Um, um, and what is the camp? Love others as you love yourself uh, because you will. Nurture your own flesh. You will right, and we take pro- care of we you. project to others how we um, feel about ourselves. Abs- yes, that's an interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit because what ha- what it what is self loathing and what why what causes it? Because it serves a purpose. It's a sick purpose, but it does serve a purpose. Correct. And so, does that permeate around? In other words, it. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a, an analogy. It's not exactly the same, but I notice when, when, and it's easy to notice when people's lives are out of control. They try to control other people's lives, mm-hmm. and p- when people hate themselves, guess what they do? They hate other people. Right. It's just the way things are. We can't do anything about it. Right. But like we said in in a previous program, we can claim anything. Mm-hmm. But what do our actions say? Right. We can claim to love others, but when we don't love ourselves, 
I'm sorry, it's going to permeate. Right. We can claim to be in control, but if we're not in control, we're going to try to control everything else around us. It's a natural human inclination. And and so I think, too, is I think that um, it's interesting that throughout the Bible, that that's one of the principles that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are trying to teach to human beings. So to me, if that's if that is such a big issue in the Bible, then apparently it's like one of the major things that humanity struggles with yeah. is, is not loving ourselves and not loving others. And it, we're not talking about the, um, you know, about, oh, just love everybody. We're talking about true... Um, Caring ground, for people. Right, true grounding in, in what are principles and how we treat people, how we treat ourselves... What and what kind of principles do we live off of? Yeah, I once heard someone say, and I and, and I, I I liked the way it resonated with me. It's okay to criticize someone, as long as you love them enough to die for them. Right. If not, why are you criticizing them? Right. And and if you do love them that much, then you're never going to criticize them. You're going to well, do you, something. You're, you're, you're going to deliver it in such a way where they'll get it. Yeah. Or you're going to be somebody that desires nothing more than to help them. And whatever you think, you know, there's an issue. So love causes us to do the right thing at all times. Yeah, right. And just remember now, Paul, who is basically an an encyclopedia, a, a Jewish encyclopedia, he he knew everything there was to know about right. the Torah, everything there was to know about yeah. all those books of the Bible, and yet his God, the God that the lens that he looked through. He thought it was a good idea to drag women and children out of their homes to their po- their possible death or imprisonment because they did not agree with him. And after, of course, his conversion, after his conversion, Paul said, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Everything changed. So let's analyze what happened to Paul. What changed about his behaviors. Did he still go to church? Did he still read his Bible? Was he still on a strict Jewish diet? Did he do did did he pretty much that behavior still that external remained. behavior remained the same? What happened was an inside job where he actually cared now about those women and children. Right. And I I firmly believe that was the that was the thorn that he begged for God to take out of his out of it was the from his rem- flesh. yeah from his flesh was the memory of the of that that behavior that he had and so i think if we can go back and kind of do the monday night quarterback or whatever you want to say i think what it when i listen to you talk about it it's that paul wanted to force people to do and to believe the way that he did and believed in his version of who god was Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit, God, and being a vessel to bring more truth to people and allowing people to make their own decision, God has given a measure of faith to everybody, and God will help each individual to develop their understanding of who he is and what he desires for their life. And sometimes, you know, we can go and say, um, no, you have to do it this way, or if you don't say it this way, then you're not, um, you know, you're not going to be saved, or whatever it may be. And I think that 
you know, God desires us not to be the the person with the hammer, right? But a person with the blanket and to say, this is what I know and this is how I live. And it's okay if you are different than me. Well, the cross exemplifies that. Jesus allows his creation to nail him to the cross and you have two thieves and Jesus is saying to them, look it, this is what I'm willing to go through to win you. Do you like it or not? One of them didn't like it. The other one liked it. Right. The one that didn't like it said, no, come down from the cross and save us all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do something. Do something. Yeah. Which was, of course, the biggest temptation was come down off the cross and save yourself. Right. And Jesus says, I'm not in it to save myself. When I die for everyone, it saves everyone. He said, "Make take a good look. Mm-hmm. This is as far as God can go right here. I will not retaliate. I will not force. I died so that, and and I will forgive you as I die. I'm trying everything I can. Can you see that I'm I'm in it for your good? I I will forgive you as you nail me to a cross. He's gone as far as he possibly can to tell us he loves us. We're the ones being appeased. And then he leaves us free to decide. Right. And that's what to accept or reject him. Yeah. And so you see on one side and the other of him, you have someone that accepts that and another one rejects it. And then you have the crowd down below, which was mixed. Some accepted and some rejected. See, but it's all about he died for our freedom to choose. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we named the the program that is the Bible is full of evidence on how God has treated his erring children how he's given them time and time again, uh, trying to win them back. And as they reject him, even through the Old Testament, as they rejected him, he, uh, he wept while, while his spirit was rejected and the Babylonians came in and, and uh, took Israel captive because they no longer want, or, or, or they wanted a king and God wept and said, okay, you want a king, I'll give you one, but the king is going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to do this, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take your sons, he's going to tax you. And they said that we don't care, we want a king. And so God said, okay, he done everything he can to work with his children. And as his, and he does the, he'll speak through a donkey to get the point across. Mm-hmm. He will, he will write in the dust to get a point, the point across. He will allow a Samaritan woman to go bring back the entire town in front of a bunch of arrogant Jews to make a point. He will do whatever it takes to win us. He will, he will appear like he's breaking the law in order to, to worry about people. And to give us freedom. And the thing is, is that's the one thing that Jesus is not willing to do. He's not willing to force us nope. to choose him. No, he will not force. Love does not force. It does not coerce. It does. It, it, and so there you have it. God is love, and he's done everything he can to win us back to him. And yet somehow, some way, we treat God as the one with the problem. God is the one that's mad at us and needs and, and needs to be appeased. Needs us to do something to make him to, feel better. Yeah, I got news for you. Cannot impress God. He's right. he, he is infinite. And and you know what? We talked about it also is, well, because I know a, a lot of people, especially addicts, are, are probably thinking, well, how does God know what it's like to be an addict and to go what I'm through, I'm what I'm going through? Think about it. God has perfect empathy. So what you feel, he feels. 
He has absolute perfect empathy. Remember that. What you're feeling, he is feeling. And, and he that's is sim- for, and, and that's for, for everybody every right now. Every person on right. the planet. So this is this is the God that we seem to forget about or we seem to think that he he's mad and he needs appeasement. No, he's feeling what you're feeling. He is angry at sin, not angry at you. Right. Just like a doctor is angry at cancer, not angry at the patient. Always remember that that God wants to win you and he's done everything and is doing everything to win you and he's going through all of your pain and all your agony with you even though you don't think he is even though you think he's mad at you or he's left or he hates you or he's left you or forsaken you so um that's the message we want to leave with you today is just remember god has perfect empathy he feels what you feel he's going through what you're going through just turn to him open your heart let him in let him in and we got to wrap it up that was a very very quick half hour wasn't Mm -hmm. it it was so remember folks there's only two ways to live your life one is like nothing's a miracle the other is like everything is a miracle and you have the freedom to choose do i love my neighbor can i feel his pain and his Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Collenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could it be this simple, the way out of your prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.